Adam 12. Adam 12. Cop Talk America's on the air. Copy. Put me 10-6. I'm tuning into Cop Talk America. Welcome to Cop Talk America, where police discuss the job, answer questions, and respond to law enforcement hot topics around our great nation. With over 100 years combined law enforcement experience, here's your hosts and special guest law enforcement commentator, Mark Nelson. Welcome once again to Cop Talk America, a show that attempts to inform the public about the daily actions of police officers in America. Today we're going to be discussing the Texas police uh, release footage of a deadly officer-involved shooting of a machete-welding man. What we are going to do first is have you look and vis- uh, visit a video that has been released, and then we're going to talk about that video. So without any further comment, here's the video. Hey, drop it! Drop it! All right, you've seen the video, and what we'd like to do now is start our discussion with Dave, who will give us our his initial reaction, and I'm going to go around the table to get everyone's initial reaction, and then we'll go into and dig a little bit deeper on the entire subject. Dave, would you go ahead? Uh, my opinion is 100% justified. Okay. Like anything in police work, there's about 10 different ways you can handle something, and I'm not going to say that this couldn't have been handled a, a little differently as far as... Uh, <laughs> The end result, <clears throat> he could have, uh, you know, the officer got out, he left the uh, left his car, maybe he could have got back in his car and backed up a ways. You had some other things involved there, but you also had citizens in the area that you have to take into consideration. And if you disengage this armed subject and he ends up killing one of these citizens, then you're going to be damned for that. He engaged this armed subject, ended up killing the armed subject, and now he, they're trying to damn him for that. At the end of the day, though, he's 100% justified. This guy's walking down the middle of the street for no apparent reason with this big machete, clearly a deadly weapon. The only thing I could say this officer did wrong as far as my training and experience is he let him get way, way, way too close to him. He would have been justified in shooting him long before he did. Uh, He let him get well within 20 feet, which is in our training, you don't let someone with an edge weapon get that close to you because they can kill you in a second before you can pull that trigger. Okay, thank you, Dave. Jarvis. Yeah, I'll go along with what Dave said. Uh, The subject, I mean, the officer was justified in shooting. But as he was stating, there is a lot of things that the officer could have done differently. Such as? Uh, I wouldn't have stood there to hold my ground the way he did, not with a machete. That's too big of a weapon to let a man just walk up on me with the machete. So your criticism was that he got too close, period. Exactly. That he would have, you would have shot him sooner, not later. May have shot him sooner. I may have got in my car and bagged up. It's it's hard to say without being in that situation. But he would have not. I know I would not have let him got as close as he did. Okay, Brett. 
Well, the the word wielding has been used, uh, and I got to disagree with the meaning of wielding. He basically had it almost cradled like a baby, just kind of tapping it on his arm. And to me, not showing any act of aggression, except that he just would not obey the officer's orders. And I saw him to the side of the street, and when the officer stopped his quad car, then he moved to the middle of the street. So I, I do agree with uh, Dave and Jarvis that, yeah, things could have been done differently, but he was absolutely completely justified. Uh, but just a strange situation that he was not, did not appear to be angry or upset or deranged in any way. He just was simply just tapping that machete on his arm. Jeff. Once again, this is a situation where the suspect is given absolutely no accountability for his actions. And why is he advancing on the officer? The officer is clearly indicating to the individual to stop advancing, to put the machete down, does so repeatedly. When we do action versus reaction drills, people need to understand if you make an act, it's going to take my mind at least three quarters of a second to make a decision what to do and then respond. While he's tapping that machete, he can just as quickly thrust with that machete. And the next thing I know, I'm cut. Now that I'm cut, I'm my body goes into shock. Things just keep multiplying badly. As for second guessing the officer on what he did or didn't do, again, it comes dependent down to his training, his level of training. Was he ever trained to step off to a side? Jarvis has trained many of us that you don't step straight back, you step off at an angle. You do the unexpected. And if this man has never done that type of training and then he's thrust into this kind of situation, you know, it's overwhelming for him. And people need to understand, police officers, by and large, we react. We're not making an action. It's a reaction to the suspect's action. The suspect should be held liable for what he's doing. And the other thing to remember is the people who are making the complaint are all family. I understand that. Anyone who loses a family member is going to be upset, and they're going to think, you didn't have to kill him. You could have done, but that answer is never actually provided. You could have told him to drop the machete. We did that. You could have told him something. You could have gotten your car and left. You could have. And if you go back just not too long ago, LAPD has a man with a machete or a knife, and he's in a group, and there's officers surrounding him, order after order after order. And when he finally stabs or injures a person in the crowd, then they shoot him. Okay. Here's the issue that the public has to become aware of. Also in the officer's visual sight, is another lady who's coming down the sidewalk in this incident. He is not only accountable for his own safety and the safety of that lady that is coming down the sidewalk, he has to be accountable for both. And the individual suspect that is approaching the officer with a machete, anyone that has had that experience, and I have actually had that experience of somebody coming at me with a machete, and my my uh, agreement with you, Jarvis, is absolutely 100%, that when an individual is within that 20-foot uh, parameter of your body, you have given up the ability to react safely as far as, as, far as the intrusion into your space. 
And the individual, while he was coming, and Brett made a very good point. He said the guy was non, uh, <clears throat> was not acting in a lethal manner. Uh, 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 individual was not acting in a manner that seemed to be an imminent threat. It doesn't matter. He was close enough to become one immediately if he wanted to. So, I, if you don't mind me commenting on that, because yes, as Brett said, he wasn't acting in a lethal manner. How long does it take for him to take a three-foot knife and cut you with it. If I was planning on doing that, I wouldn't act upset. I'd just do exactly like he did, walk up to you, and in a quarter of a second, your head be rolling down the street. You know, that's what scares me about your personality, Jarvis, <laughs> that you think of that. <laughs> so let's go on to the next case now. One other thing I'd like to add right quick. <laughs> the other thing the public needs to understand, just because a person is shot, does not stop the threat. Mm -mm. Many people have taken multiple rounds and continued through and end up stabbing you. When we did shoot, no shoot drills at our range and having officers have to draw and fire by the time a person covers 21 feet, no one beat the guy coming at him with the knife. So Tw just because you fired a weapon yeah. doesn't mean the guy evaporated and the threat's over. doesn't yeah. happen that way in the real world. Another issue here they're talking about he shot, I believe, was eight times. I'm thinking that was a little extreme. But if the threat's still coming at you, you keep pulling the trigger. And it doesn't take too long to fire eight rounds of the semi-automatic well, It didn't pistol. take. What was it, two seconds at the max? I don't even think it was two seconds. Right. So, know, I mean, it's not a three fifty seven either. It's a 9 mil. So, I mean, the fact is, I mean, not a 9 mil, but it's a machete. But the fact is that when the officer was firing his weapon, uh, the, the bullets aren't designed to go and splatter. I mean— they're not necessarily designed to take a, a body apart. One question I have, and it doesn't indicate this from their investigation, but was this guy suicidal? Because We've, it certainly looked like that's what he was trying to accomplish. We don't accomplish. know. It could, we don't know yeah, that. Yeah. But uh, if you're going to walk down the middle of the street toward a person with a gun and you have a machete, the proverbial don't bring a knife to a gunfight, and that's what he did. He had plenty of time not to. Once again, like Jeff said, you got to give him some accountability for his own demise. And body armor that the officer may or may not have been wearing in this case is not designed for edge weapons. He didn't no. have any around his neck anyway, and Jarvis would have cut his head off. Yeah, we've already established yeah. that. I think we should go to the next uh, next event because I'm going to feel safer. Uh, the Arkansas police release a video of a deadly officer-involved shooting, and this is from Arkansas now. And it's in Little Rock uh, Police Department, released a video recently of a deadly officer-involved shooting, which shows an officer firing at least 15 times into a car windshield. Now, you, the public, are going to have to decide on whether this officer acted in a prudent and judicious manner as an officer in the seconds that he had to make that decision. Get out. Get out. Get out. I'll explain to you in a second. Get out. Get out of the car. Get out of the car. Dude, get out of the car. Get out of the car. He's refusing to get out of the car. Dude, get out of the car. Get out of the car. Get out of the car. Get out of the car, dude. Just I need you in the same team. Don't move! Don't move! 
Stay where you're at. Okay. Stay where you're at. Hey, can I get out? He's driving. Can I get out? I need units. I need units. Hey. Hush. Hey, can I jump out? Get out. Get out. Get out. What do you people? Come over here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Get on the ground for me. He has a pistol in here. Hey, she said he's got a gun. This, the pastor is telling me he's still got a gun. He just picked me up. Okay. I swear to God. I'm putting you in cuffs, man, okay? That's fine. Stay back. Stay back. Information. A driver has been struck. He still has a gun. I've fired multiple times. Okay, you've seen the video. You've seen a very difficult situation of an officer attempting to confront an individual who has just stolen a car. They've tracked him down the streets. They've confronted him in the sense that they drove the officer involved, Stark, drove his police car into the front of the, uh, uh, the suspect's car. And we're going to go around the table now and ask the opinion of the police officers I have with me, what they thought of the performance, not only of the uh, police officer, but how they might have handled this situation in a manner that would have been, uh, uh, would have guaranteed greater safety for the officer and perhaps a quicker arrest of the suspect. Uh, I'll start this time with uh, Jeff, if you would. Based on the information that he's going after a stolen vehicle, one of the things the officer should have probably considered was how close is my backup? Did a coordinated uh, arrival instead of just a single officer arrival as he did here. One of the uh, other issues he has here is that he knows he's dealing with a person in a stolen car. He advances on him and tells him to get out of the car, gives him multiple orders repeatedly, and the person is not complying. One of the problems with police officers, myself included, is we like to go out and catch the bad guy, and it's very hard for us to learn how to break off and stop being aggressive and start thinking in a slightly different way of, I need to step back. I have more people coming. I have other things I can do. I don't need to push the situation. So, But you this, don't know how long you're going to be alone in this arrest either. Correct. It, he's in a large city, so I'm going to assume being in a city police department, again, he should have a secondary radio where he could be calling and talking to whose backup is, how far they are off, and those kind of things. If the officer's belief is the vehicle was being used as a weapon and was trying to run him over, then he's justified. I have a rule for myself. I watch a tape one time. I don't watch it again. And you have to make your decision based on that. I wish that was all the judge would allow in a jury and for the defense attorney to see it one time. So you don't get to sit here and play like it's the NFL and say, was this pass interference or not? And you run it back and forth and back and forth and back and forth because anybody can pick anything apart. If this officer had a reasonable belief that he felt that car was going to be used as a weapon and he was in jeopardy of death or great bodily harm, his actions were correct. Thank you, Jeff. Brett, what's your take on this? Uh, agree with Jeff 100%. Uh, clearly should have waited. It was backing into a parking space. 
he should have waited for more cars. But I, throughout the whole video, I don't see anything criminal here at all. I see bad on tactics. On whose part? On the officer's part. I, I see. Uh, bad tactics, uh, putting himself in a bad situation. Uh, but I don't see anything criminal. Uh, maybe some uh, further training uh, for the officer if he gets to keep his job. But uh, Was there any incident that you viewed that would constitute in your mad, your mind bad judgment on the part of Officer Stark? Yes, and I'm keeping in mind that he has the split second to make these decisions. Uh, Could you but, elucidate which ones those are? Well, just immediately pulling up in front of uh, that car, his thinking is to block him in so I can contain this myself, but he didn't do it properly, plus he puts himself right in the line of fire or to be... Uh, crushed by the other car, I think that he was just way too aggressive and wanting to catch his bad guy, like Jeff said. All the cops love to do that. But the one thing that does concern me is how slow that car is going uh, when he starts firing um, into that. I have been in a situation similar to that, and I did that. That does concern me a little bit that he could have tried to roll off the top of that car or put. What would you have done differently? Um, I won't. I won't say at this point. I'm like I said. He's making these split second decisions, and I'm not going to second guess him. I just I'm not going to do David? it. David. Well, he definitely made, uh, in my opinion, several tactical errors. Uh, his parking in front of the car like that. I don't necessarily have a problem with it. I think it sounded like that there was probably backup on the way. What would you have done differently instead of parking in front? I might have actually parked like that, to be honest. And I would have jumped out, but I definitely wouldn't have ran between the two cars like he did and went to the driver's side. I would have tell you to take up more of a tactical position on the other side of the car because all this guy had to do is hit the gas, and you're you're suddenly crushed between two cars. You would have taken a tactical on the passenger side. On the passenger side fender right. with your weapon out right. and, and, uh, uh, and requesting him to step out of the car. Exactly, and he probably would have taken off and he'd have probably gotten away. Uh, I actually had a call, and it was almost exactly like the same scenario, and I did park in front of the car, very similar to that, and I got out just almost exactly like he did, only the way the car was parked, <clears throat> I didn't put myself between the, the bad guy car and the squad car. I did approach the driver's side because I was able to do that tactically. Order them out. The guy looks at me. Nope. And he starts creeping off just like that. And I was I stepped to the side, and then he took off, and I just watched him drive away. Never did catch the guy. That's what he probably could have done. Uh, he chose not to do that. And once, like Brett said, and I can't agree more, we got to give some credit to the bad guy here. He got himself killed. Uh, that the, at the end of the day, he's still in a stolen car. He still has a gun. He, he's not uh, the man of the year here. Allegedly has a gun. Allegedly has a gun. And yeah, there was tactical errors. Yeah, this guy might, uh, you know, if he keeps his job, but should he end up being charged with a crime? No. Uh, he made, in my opinion, made a mistake, but it wasn't a criminal mistake. Jarvis, you're up. Uh, like everyone else said, no, he did not make any criminal errors, but he made a bunch of tactical errors. Uh, first one to me, when he pulled up, he should have noticed that there was two people in that car. That's the first thing. 
we never put ourselves in a situation where there's two of them and one of us, not if we can help it. Did he know that person was armed? No, he didn't. So he decided to approach. Two people in the car, that female could have been just as guilty for something as he was. What would you have done differently, Jarvis? I, If I had pulled up that way, as uh, Dave said, I would have put the car, my squad car, between me, and we would have stood there and waited for backup to arrive. Okay. What's your next thing that you would have done differently? We'd have been waiting until backup got there. Period. And then I'd have got him out of the car one at a time. All right. So you wouldn't have moved without backup, period. Nope. Other than to be behind the fender of the passenger side with your gun out. Exactly. Requesting them to stay in the car? Exactly. So I think that one of the things that have been overlooked is that the squad car, when it pulled up in front, did not pull up in front in a manner that would have secured the, the, the criminal's car. Well, see, car. in order for him to do that, he would have put himself in more harm's way. If he'd have pulled it to where it squarely flushed, he blocked. Out. He couldn't have got out of the car himself. He couldn't have got out of the car, or even if he'd have pulled up to where he could open the door, to get out of that car, he would have temporarily had to turn his back to the subjects. Very good. I I, I wanted that covered. Okay. Uh, are there any other comments before we go to our next case? The public needs to understand there's a difference between a criminal case and an internal investigation. I don't believe this officer should be charged criminally. I don't believe he was trying to commit a crime. The internal investigation is going to look at this as an example, if they have a policy of doing felony car stops and that's how they're trained, they're going to ask this officer, why didn't we do that? If they don't have that, then that's shame on the department because this then is a matter, as Dave said, of training because the officer is doing what he was trained to do. So this concludes our Arkansas video in our case of an officer-involved shooting. We're now going to go to our next case. Our next video is a suspect stabbing a California police officer in the neck during an arrest. The officer shouts, he stabbed me, and he, and he can be heard yelling, he, uh, blank, stabbed me. The officer obviously uh, was not happy about this. The officers, there had been several officers that had come to this uh, uh, situation in which a young man had tried to stab his father through the screen door, and, and thus the officers had responded to the call and there was a failure on the part of the suspect to comply with the officer's request to drop the knife. But you watch the video and you decide what you would have done in those split seconds prior to when the officers had to make a decision to whether to disarm the suspect or to have a prolonged standoff. So we're on the back seat, cop. And, hey, what was his name? Mark, can I have yeah. you at least sit down? So this is the Fourth Amendment. Can I have you sit down? What? Can you sit down, Mark? Right there, in the middle of the street, right where you are. Stop digging in your pockets, because I don't know what you have in there. That's what I'm showing you. Listen. This is why you guys came at me, right? It's to see what's in my pockets, right? 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 You got counter? Ready? Same time. Hey, you see who's on it? 
Mark, you will put, be tased. This is your last hey, throw. The seal is on it. Put the knife down. The seal's on it. Put the knife down. Say the word, Sarge. You, you guys just... You've watched the video. You are now in the same situation as the officers were, but you're going to have a chance to reflect on it. They did not. They had split seconds. So we'll start this time with uh, Jerome, uh, with, I'm sorry, Jarvis. And I uh, would like Jarvis to start with, what would you have done differently? And I'm sorry, Jarvis. I, I have so much trouble with names. <laughs> uh, that's no problem. No problem whatsoever. I'm not going to say that I would have done anything differently, but I think I would have hit him a couple of more times with the rubber, with the rubber bullets before I called my letting my men rush in like that. How many rubber bullets are in the rubber bullet gun? Uh, we you don't shoot know one that at stuff. a time. You shoot one at a time. You may have to reload and hit them again because where they hit them at the first time was not effective. Where would you hit them? Ah, that just depends what was facing me. Okay, you're 230 pounds, Bubba. What would happen if somebody hit you in the midsection with a rubber bullet? Well, if I was agitated like this, gentlemen, it would probably piss me off. But it wouldn't put you down. I'm not going to say it wouldn't put me down, but I know it would piss me off. Okay, that's fair enough. What else would you have done differently? Well, those officers should have had a nightstick that when upon approaching, at least one of them should have went for that hand that held the knife. One good smack and that knife should have been on the ground on by the itself. Ground somewhere. Yes. Okay. David, take it away. Uh, you got to absolutely be shitting me on the way they handled that. <laughs> I agree with Bubba 110%. You've already uh, fired one less lethal round. I'm sure you got more than one. Keep shooting him with him. Try to maybe shoot the knife in his hand and, and see how that goes. Uh, when you do get in there, and now this guy's got a knife, once again, I wouldn't even approach at that point. That was, and then the, the sending the dog in, now you got the dog in there biting people. And that, that was a three ring circus, for lack you're, of a You're saying term. you would not. You would not have approached a knife-wielding suspect on the ground until he was totally disabled. Correct. Okay, that's Correct. what I wanted to know. Correct. Okay. And, and once again, they, they did a good job up to that point. I think they had a great plan, but they need a little bit more patience. Let's not shoot the guy one time and then run in there like gangbusters. Let's uh, keep firing less and lethal if it works. If he advances on you, then you're going to use lethal force. And then Bubba had a great point once you get in there, you know, whatever the situation may be, if you did have a nightstick, you could have cold cocked him a good one and got that knife away from him or at least busted his hand or whatever you had to do. I mean, the, you, it's not a time to try to be nice. Well, we witnessed a couple of videos already in the show in which officers in Texas and Arkansas used uh, deadly force uh, against a, a gentleman wielding a machete. 
How would you compare it, David? Uh, what would you have done? I mean, in other words, do you think deadly force would have been merited here? Uh, the, the guy it wasn't, wasn't a machete, but it was a knife. At that point, no, the guy wasn't advancing. So he was, I, I don't Jarvis, want to do say he was contained, but he wasn't advancing. Well, the only thing I have to say was, see, those situations were different. In this situation with the knife, they had more than enough manpower there to control that subject, to keep him from going anywhere or harming anyone else. I just kind of disagree with the way that they went about disarming him. Okay. All right. Brett? Well, it it seems uh, that, I don't know if it was planned or not, but as soon as the less lethal shot went off and the dog goes in, they all seemed to charge and rush him, almost like it was choreographed, which uh, anybody that has less lethal uh, you're gonna you're gonna have all your officers a lot farther back than they were. I mean, they were within 21 feet or close to that. You're saying they should not have been that close to the suspect. No, no, they shouldn't have been. And when less lethal comes up, uh, you all always have a backup with him to use lethal force if you need it. Uh, but to approach a subject with a knife in his hand, uh, there's no way I would have. I would have advanced on him at all. And if you'd had that many people around, what would you have done to deaccelerate or terminate that situation? Well, it, it like Jeff said a few different times, it comes into training. Uh, when you're when you're training with less, with less lethal, the less lethal guy knows to put. He might have to put one more round on him, or two, or three, uh, depending on if he's jacked up, drugged up. Uh, I have never seen that, but I've heard of many incidents where they've had to put two or three rounds in the midsection of a suspect to put him down. You're uh, talking about rounds of the rubber bullets. Yes, okay. yes, yes. Less lethal is I, what its okay. official name is, uh, like a taser, less <clears throat> lethal. But, uh, yeah, certainly I would have not have done that. Um, but they did what they thought they needed to do, and luckily uh, nobody was killed except the bad guy. He wasn't killed. He wasn't killed. Oh, he wasn't killed? No, he was not killed. Oh, okay. No, the suspect right. stabbed the police officer. Actually, he's probably in prison for quite a while, though. I would suspect <laughs> that if you stab a police officer, uh, uh, that's that's kind of assault on a police officer that, that is a felony, I assume. Jeff, take it away. Well, and again, the suspect <clears throat> still should have dropped the knife upon command, any of the number of commands. There's a sergeant on the scene because you hear the, I believe it's the canine officer asking Asked him. him. Do you, uh, anytime you want it, Sarge, let me know. As a, as a sergeant, you're the quarterback. So you need to get your people deployed better than what he had them. They were kind of in a semicircle. And we kind of feel good when we got this guy in a kind of semicircle and there's a car that he's up against. So we've got him surrounded. Well, the problem with that is now he has any angle that he wants to come at and he's attacking us. So if you split him up a little bit where you got more of an L shape on it and then coordinate it so you're letting everybody know we're going to fire a less lethal round we're going to see what it does you know because like any action you got to after you fired it you got to give it a quarter of a second to a half a second to see is that enough is he going to say okay i am done and while you're reloading it i mean i've seen this time and time again with the taser some guys who've been tased before as soon as they see the officer pull the taser out they're like i'm done and they just stop they he may have seen him reload that beanbag round or rubber bullet or whatever it was for their less lethal launcher, which looked like it was a <clears throat> 37, 38 millimeter single shot launcher. 
which is fine. I mean, you just have to practice being able to load it fast and get the round on target. Shoot him in the thigh. If that doesn't work, now shoot him in the chest, in the in the stomach area, and try to knock the air out of him. If that doesn't work, there's still other options you can do. Which let, are? Let the dog go in. Let the dog do a little chewing on him. Having been bit by a German Shepherd when I'm in the bite suit, that's not a pleasant experience. Most people will be like, yes, it's time to drop this knife. I want to get rid of this. And as Jarvis brought up, <clears throat> then when the approach is happening, it was just a a gang rush. I mean, this was, was tackle football. Seemed a bit disorganized in my opinion. We needed to come forward with sticks and let this guy know it's on. And then there should have been lethal with them as they're approaching. So if you decide, okay, here I come, headshot, put him on the ground. Wow. Okay. So now that you've viewed this particular video, you see the type of options that the officers have. One of the points I wanted to bring up, we haven't yet, is are there adequate options available for these types of situations? Why is it that we can't develop a weapon that will absolutely put a guy down and not kill him from 20 feet away? It seems to me that's kind of absurd that we're debating this. Because well, you can have something that will work on me, but then you meet somebody like Jarvis and his mindset's completely different. He could be jacked up on any type of drugs and it doesn't, he doesn't feel it. I mean, I have seen people shot with tasers, which lock me up and drop me like a sack of potatoes and other people reach down and swat them out of their body. And you'll hear doctors and stuff sit there and say, that's not possible. But I'm like, I've watched it happen. So if they're on PCP, I understand that you can shoot a long time. Right. And Even then it's all, it's all about mindset of the individual you're dealing with. Mindset of what has he done? How the adrenaline, up is the amount of adrenaline rush they have. And some people get jacked up. I mean, Again, people have been shot where they've had entire parts of their bodies removed with 50 calibers over in Afghanistan. They still stand there and fight. Yep. Jarvis, final well, wrap-up. I was just going to say the same thing that Jeff said, was that you, the mindset of the person, no one knows what it is. And that's one of the things that when we design these weapons, we kind of forget about. We don't take into consideration the mindset of the individual we're going up against. Nor, nor do we have enough information to make that call. The next, the next video we're going to watch is going to be very interesting. It's a Chicago police officer who was dragged virtually 100 feet by a fleeing driver. Uh, the law enforcement officers were attempting to get four boys out of a vehicle when it suddenly sped off with a law enforcement officer's vest caught in the window. Now, that's kind of an awkward situation. Let's see how the officers handled it and see what our comments are. This all happened around 10 a.m. in the 5700 block of South Normal on the south side. Police say they attempted a traffic stop on what they called a suspicious vehicle with four juveniles inside. They attempted to question the individuals. The individuals were very uncooperative. Um, at which time they were attempted to, the CPD officers and the supervisor attempted to remove the subjects from the vehicle. Um, the vehicle fled, taking the supervisor with him. He was dragged about 100 feet. That officer's vest getting caught in the window of this Jeep Grand Cherokee. Chicago police say after being dragged, the 7th District Supervisor got into his squad car, and as the Jeep was fleeing the scene, it hit his vehicle and several others. You can see the front and side damage on the driver's side of the Jeep. 
The offenders got onto the Skyway and then exited. Officers followed and arrested the four teens in the 8,000 block of South Clyde. The Jeep was still parked there this afternoon, an officer keeping watch until it was towed away. The officer who was hurt was taken to the University of Chicago with lacerations to his hands and body and a neck injury and was later released. And those four juveniles are in custody, uh, pending charges, or charges are pending right now, rather. And uh, we are told that this officer is expected to be okay and that no weapons or guns were found inside of that Jeep. All right, you've just seen a video of, of four teenagers, evidently juveniles, that decided to take a police officer for a ride with their vest caught in their door or something. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, I, I would, I would uh, suggest that we put those juveniles uh, in a prison for a while so they wake up. Uh, I'll, I'm going to go around the table really quick because I, I don't think they deserve any empathy. Jeff, what's your opinion? Quick. As soon as they know that they have the uh, sergeant stuck to their car, they should have stopped immediately. There's absolutely no excuse. They're lucky to be alive, in my opinion. Yes. Brett, opinion. Agree. David. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just because they're juveniles doesn't mean they can't kill you. And this uh, yeah. officer is very lucky that uh, he's alive. Yeah, and they ran into four, uh, three. I mean, several police cars, and uh, and they could have been running into civilians on the way. They sh they could have been stopped with lethal force, and there had been parents lamenting that. Um, Jarvis. Yeah, I have to agree with the other guys. They should be put away for quite a while. All right, our last incident of a video is uh, from Breitbart. It's a study of California police finds almost no racial profiling. And this is just a general commentary that we're going to wrap up this segment uh, of Cop Talk America. Uh, it's a study of California policing. In the, and we we're talking about Black Lives Matter very often in the news media now. But there's also been a lot of controversy about whether there is, in fact, profiling. Our next discussion topic is going to be on one that's highly controversial here in the United States. Black Lives Matter is a, 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 an issue that has been on every TV, has been on every uh, commentary, and every talking head for some time. And it has to do, to some extent, with racial profiling, where the the... The suspicion by many minorities is that police departments profile and arrest in an unseeming manner one minority over another, or in other words, one segment of citizenship over another. The controversy is going to continue, and I'd like to start the discussion by asking Dave to begin, is Black Lives Matter and is racial profiling actually something that is endemic in the United States, or is it overrated? It's not only overrated uh, in 2019, it's it's fabricated. I'd go beyond overrated to fabricated. I'm not going to say there isn't an incident here or incident there, uh, but as far as some national crisis, everything. But we go out and arrest criminals. We arrest bad guys, and we investigate such. I could care less what your race is. If I happen to go out and uh, arrest 10 people that have committed a crime, and they happen to be all white, all black, I could care less. And I think I speak for the 99.9-plus .9 percent of all police officers in this country. Uh, black Lives Matter and some of these other uh, groups and these activists, they got to have this illusion that there's this crisis in this country. Otherwise, they don't have a job. They don't have a platform. 
and it's it's been created and it's been uh, exploited and it continues to be today. Brett, go ahead and give us some insight. Just a little insight. I was uh, aware of or heard about an officer <clears throat> that was uh, being monitored for the cars that he stopped statewide. Uh, if you stopped a car, you had to fill out a form called a racial profiling form, and it had lots of information on it, why you stopped the car, who was driving, that kind of thing. And he noticed that he had, he was putting his badge number at the top. And uh, so he did a little self-experiment for a few weeks and noticed that when he stopped cars, uh, just because of the violation to write them tickets, that depending on where he was at in the city, his numbers were a little skewed than more than what he thought. He was writing 60% black tickets compared to 40% white when that's not the ratio in his city. So instead of putting, he did not want to put himself out there uh, to get in trouble or anything else and be noticed. So he started writing more white people that he could see were white instead of just the violation to even out his stats. So what do you think the consequence of that will be as far as racial profiling? There is racial profiling, perhaps, but it's adversary to the white minority or white majority. Well, the officer said that he was not looking at the race at all of who stopped, of what cars he stopped. Initially. Initially. Correct. But, but racial profiling caused him to look at the It caused him as he started to keep his own stats. He said he realized that depending on what neighborhood he was in, he was writing more black than white, and he made that determination that he wasn't going to have that anymore, that he would write 20 30% black, and the rest he would profile, make sure they're white, because he didn't want to be the guy out there. He didn't want to trouble. be singled out as a, a discriminating or a racist or anything. Okay, Jeff, take it away. Racial profiling is basically a political decision that was made by individuals who wanted to sell their agenda, they found a group that went along with them. Uh, I can just go back to the last presidential election where racial profiling became this big, uh, uh, we're going to have law enforcement reform and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. But as always, when these people talk, there's never any facts provided. There has been a number of studies, none of them put out in the national media, that has shown racial profiling is, in fact, mostly a hoax. Does it happen? Absolutely. If you're dealing with police officers, which are human beings, you're going to come with all the frailties of any other group of human beings, just like these people who have their own frailties of claiming no matter what you do, it was because of the race of the person, or in some people's case, it was because of the sex of the person, or because they were transgendered or whatever EIEI group they were from. The whole fact of the matter is the majority of police officers are out there attempting to do their job and they try to be as non-biased to all the different factors as you can be as a human being. But they're not given any credit for it. We ask them to be social workers. We ask them to be gunfighters. We ask them to be medics. We ask them to be Mental just Mental health counselors. Counselors too. And then when we don't do it exactly right, people get upset. And I understand the vast majority of the American people support the police because if they didn't, we would have lost this a long time ago. All right. The critics of law enforcement, according to Breitbart, are outraged by the second annual report of California Racial and Identity Profiling Advisory Board. 
which found very few incidents of racial profiling by police across the state. The research effort is the first of its kind in the nation, mandated by a state law signed in 2015 at the height of the Black Lives Matter movement. That law established the Racial Profiling Board and required it to investigate and analyze state and local law enforcement agency racial and identity profiling policies and practices across geographic areas in California and to publish an annual report of its findings. Problem is that it found that there was almost no racial profiling. Jarvis, what do you think of it? Well, I'm not going to say that there is no racial profiling. As Jeff stated, when we do our job, you do a, a certain amount of profiling if you are a police officer. Because 3 o'clock at night, I work in a predominantly white area, and all of a sudden I see a car creeping along, whether it has one, two, three, or four black males in it. Something inside of me, being a police officer, if I'm any good, I'm going to ask myself, why is that car in this neighborhood just kind of creeping along? Doing my job, I'm going to want to find out why they're doing what they're doing out there. And if I find out they have a legitimate reason, they go about their business, I go about my business. And it's the same way in the black neighborhood where I spent most of my time at working in the predominantly black neighborhood. Three o'clock in the morning, I see a carload of white males, females driving around in a certain area that I know that sell drugs and stuff. I'm asking, why are they out here at three o'clock in the morning? Golly gee, who would suspect drugs? Yeah, I know. It's a shocker. <laughs> it's a shocker. And three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Most of us aren't in bed at that time. Nah. Nah. Church. <laughs> we don't go to church quite that early, Jeff. So I would uh, find a reason to uh, stop those Interview folks. them. Right. And uh, see what their reason for being in this area at that time. How do you handle four kids in a drug-infested area in a black community? Very carefully. <laughs> Interesting. Very carefully. We'll have to have another show on that. Once again, this is Cop Talk America, and we are very thankful that you've listened in to our show, and we're going to be welcoming you back just in a few minutes with another show if you'd like to hear. So, once again, thanks for listening. <laughs>